10.06 on 89.7 The Maverick, and better late than never, we got a hold of Al Bat, and we welcome him in for uh, his regular Tuesday time with us. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, Dwayne. Good morning, everyone. I've uh, It's given me a little time. I just got a new operating system on everything, so it's it gave me a few more minutes to try to figure all that out. You know, well, so as uh, I get used to the old one on the phone, they change it to something new, and so I uh, I bit the bullet and went all the way with the new iOS 15 because I figured I would sooner or later anyway. I might as well uh, jump in. So well, great. It, it'll it'll change my life. I'm sure. <laughs> I want to thank everybody at Farming of Yesteryear at Keister. Uh, the full boat that we had on Sunday on the Pelican Breeze. Uh, the members of Farm Bureau and all the good folks at uh, First United Methodist of Mason City for allowing me to uh, babble in their presence. So it was fun uh, meeting all those good folks. I saw some uh, sandhill cranes, and a lot of folks have been seeing them. I watched them work in a field, and there was four of them, and it was just uh, what beautiful birds they are, big. I still have a male cardinal here that is in the process of molting. A friend told me it looked like he'd swallowed a firecracker. It uh, just blew off a bunch of his feathers. But even with his vibrancy diminished, the cardinal is a color that's capable of melting the other crayons in the box, even the big box of crayons. Adult male ruby-throated hummingbirds are long gone, but there are still some females and juveniles visiting feeders. And you can tell them because they will have a little white on their tail, little white tips that the adult males will not have. I heard a blue jay. I was walking with a friend, Mark Sorensen, and we were doing some birding while picking some apples and eating them on the way. And it was doing a wonderful rendition of a broad-winged hawk. And the jay was likely a migrant from an area where they speak broad-winged hawk. They are uh, the jays of our life, I guess, if it'd be a soap opera. There was about, I think, uh, from August to the middle of August till now, there's been about 50,000 blue jays have migrated along Hawk Ridge and Duluth. So a lot of them coming from uh, Canada on down. And some of those might be the ones that spend the winter in our yard, although it might be our locals that stay here, too. I'm seeing a lot of holes chewed in the leaves of various plants. And, uh, folks, that's not a bad thing. The holes show there are caterpillars, and caterpillars are bird food. So I'm happy to see those holes. Stan Timmerman of New Richland played a recording of a bird, and he said, What in the world is this? And, Stan, it was a recording of a young Baltimore Oriole just uh, trying out his pipes to see how, uh, if that sounds good or if this sounds good, probably trying to imitate an adult. Deb and Bruce McKay of Henderson said they had a congregation of monarch butterflies in their yard this year. So how cool is that? Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee sent me one photo had eight Nashville warblers in it, eight of them, all, as you might guess, around a waterer. Uh, Mary and Bill Bailey of Chatfield saw a red-headed woodpecker and a pileated woodpecker. 
Larry Burr of Faribault. Larry is a uh, bluebirder extraordinaire. He's been a member of the BBRP, the Bluebird Recovery Program of Minnesota for many years, and he has just uh, done extraordinary work. He said this year about 50% occupancy of bluebirds. And again, that's because of those terrible storms uh, south of us in February. Junelle Gustafson. Junelle is from Stewartville. She showed me a photo of this beautiful, beautiful insect. It's called an eight-spotted forester moth. Eight-spotted forester moth. It's a showy day-flying nectaring moth, and it's a black moth, but it has long, bright orange hairs on its two forelegs, which look like collected pollen. And it has two creamy white spots on the back, on the black forewings, and two on each hindwing, and that gets its its common name, eight spotted. So really, thanks, Janelle. That was a cool photo. A listener said, Al, you have mentioned the Audubon Preserve in Albert Lee several times. Where in the world is that? Uh, that's a good question. It's kind of a uh, well-kept secret, and we're trying to get word out on it. It's, uh, oh, it's uh, off Front Street. You turn on to Madison Avenue, and you go down. Or- Oregon Street is where the preserve is, so uh, I'm sure GPS can find it, but it's on Oregon Street. Oregon Street just has a few houses. It dead ends into the Audubon Preserve that's owned by the uh, Elberly Audubon Society. Somewhere between 12 and 14 acres, there's uh, walking trails. Lauren Kaiser, who mows it, their mowed trails, said he thought you could get two miles without walking the same uh, area. There is a cabana for picnics and things there. there's uh, bees. We have them all caged in, Dwayne, because uh, we don't want people getting too close to the what everyone would call hives. And we had to put a cage up there because skunks were coming in and eating the bees, so we didn't need that to happen. It's free. There's no charge. There's nothing. Um, we just hope you get out there and enjoy it. Uh, Chad Hines does a hawk watch. He said Friday in Mankato, Friday was a pretty busy with over 200 raptors, mostly broadwing hawks, and Saturday and Sunday were typical of days with south winds. That means there's uh, probably weren't very many. Uh, Tom Steinman of Garrison, way up by Malax, told me that wild turkeys worship the ground on which he tosses cracked corn, and I have no doubt that's true. Uh, Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said, Al, we've heard Canada honkers honking only a little ways over us. I always find their call to be so lonely and sorrowfully pleading seemingly for help that isn't to be found. They must see winter ahead of them. Oh, Rick, you said that word, winter, yeah. Uh, Speaking of winter, uh, folklore says the amount of black on a woolly bear caterpillar in this time of year, it varies proportionately with the coming winter in the locality where that caterpillar is seen. So if you see it in your yard, that doesn't apply to your neighbors. The longer the woolly bear's black band, so they have, they're black on each end and then kind of a rusty brown in the middle. The longer the woolly bear's black bands, the more severe the winter will be. 
and the wider the middle brown band, the milder the upcoming winter. It actually has probably more to do with uh, the age of the woolly worm or woolly bear, whichever you prefer. But it, I still look at them every year, and it's neat to see them and say, just kind of judge the winter and see how they predict it. The DNR did 163 25-mile routes. And they did these between July 31st and August 22nd, and they were counting pheasants. They found 40.7 pheasants per 100 miles in the state. Now, that's near the 10-year average of 37.7 per 100 miles. So it's just slightly above the 10-year average. Last year, however, it was 54.5 per 100 miles. So it's down a bit from then. Southeast Minnesota is up 22%, but oh, it's only like 15 or so birds probably per 100 miles. South-central Minnesota is around 50 birds, and that's down slightly from last year, but still a pretty good count. A uh, wonderful listener at KMSU said, do yellow jackets sting only once? Oh, I wish that were true. Uh, <laughs> yellow jackets, paper wasp, and bumblebees can sting more than once because they are able to pull their stingers out without injuring themselves. The honeybees, they have tiny barbs on their stingers that remain hooked in our skin. And the stinger is connected to the digestive system of the bee. So it's torn from the abdomen as the bee attempts to fly away. As a result, the bee dies. Uh, yellow jackets, they can sting us a bunch of times. I had uh, uh, my brother Donald, we were building fence, and a yellow jacket got down his, uh, his back and stung him many times. And it was, I was just a little boy, so I kind of thought it was funny that happening to an older brother. But looking back, it, there was nothing funny about it. But yellow jackets cannot be trusted at this time of year. So expect little waspitality from them. Yeah, that's right. I made <laughs> up a word, waspitality. I'll be punished for that. That later, Dwayne. I just. Uh, what do I plant to help native bees? Says the listener. Oh gosh, uh, goldenrod, aster, uh, perennial sunflowers, native violets, evening primrose, purple coneflower, black-eyed Susan, and a whole bunch more. But those would be good choices. A listener asks, why were all the prairies in Minnesota plowed? It seems like it, and we have done away with all of our prairies. And uh, it's because fertile prairie soils proved excellent for crop production. Now, if you're an early settler and you came to Minnesota, a lot of them avoided the prairie for farming. They cleared trees and farms. And you think, why on earth? They don't have to clear many trees out in the prairie. Why would they go to that work? Well, they needed the wood, for one thing. But there was a, there was a thinking that unforested land couldn't support crops. Because if it was good land, it'd be growing trees. So it made sense to them to go where the trees were. Uh, prairie soil is fertile, but plowing it was difficult. Prairie sod is tough to cut through. That's why they made sod houses. They were, they were, they lasted a long time. Those sod houses. They were tough. 
The soil stuck to the cast iron plow blades, making it necessary to stop frequently to clean them. So it took a long time to plow. Well, there was a guy, a guy by the name of John Deere. He solved that problem in 1837 with his self-scouring steel plow. And as they say, the rest is history. He really changed things for for farming and this area of Minnesota. uh, How do I tell an antler from a horn? Well, only the deer species grow antlers. And only the males grow antlers with one exception that I'm aware of, and that being the female caribou will grow antlers. Antlers are bony structures that grow every year and then are shed. Hence, a lot of people are out there looking for deer sheds every year to see if they can find some. Horns are permanent, and they're on antelope, cattle, goats, sheep, other members of the family, bovidae. And both males and females have horns in many of those species. And horns have a bony core that's covered by keratin sheath. And keratin makes up uh, our fingernails and our hair. So it's that same kind of thing. So there are, uh, we have things, uh, we have both horn and antlered uh, critters in Minnesota and Iowa. So it's uh, neat to see the difference there. When I was a kid, we had uh, a job very often as we would dehorn uh, steers, which I thought was a terrible job because we were told it didn't hurt the uh, animals, but I don't know, I didn't get that feeling. And so I didn't enjoy it, but it was one of those things where it was your job and you went out there and did it without uh, without questioning it much. We just got told what to do and we were uh, dutiful kids. We were dutiful kids when we were home, maybe not so dutiful when we were away from home. What percent of uh, this percent I had a bat in my house and it uh, scared us half to death, but we were lucky we opened the door and it flew away and and i I understand um everybody's afraid of something uh i I like snakes, I like bats uh I don't know if I guess if I had to pick a least favorite creature because everybody should have a least favorite one i I would reach out to the rat and say he's probably my least favorite guy, and that's again from growing up on the farm and my experiences with rats there that said, rats are very intelligent, they can be taught things uh, and if you tickle them, I've read I don't know how many things, and i'm gonna uh, I'm gonna default that it's the truth, that if you tickle them, they laugh. I I don't know that I've heard laugh, rats laugh. I'm sure if they did, they'd be laughing at me as a kid and walking around them. We had a lot of stored grain, so that brought rats. They just uh, came where we were. And maybe it's because of all the the stories I heard as a kid about the Black Plague and all these things. Uh, maybe that's why the rat would be my least favorite. I know a lot of people do not like snakes. A lot of people don't like spiders. Spiders are one of my favorite things on earth. And a lot of folks don't like bats. My last name is Bat, so I love bats. <laughs> and according to the Minnesota Department of Health, uh, they have a zoonotic disease unit. They say 3 to 4% of bats tested for rabies in Minnesota test positive. 
But we have to remember that those bats aren't a random sample. Those are being the ones that have come into contact with humans. So they're thinking maybe maybe 1% of the total bat population is likely rabid. rabid. Uh, over, I should add that over 50, over 51,000 people died in Minnesota in 2020, none from rabies. So uh, it's not, you know, if you're going to be walking around today, I guess, worrying about things, maybe you could move uh, rabies down that list a ways. I hope that'll help your day and clear your mind a little bit. A young gentleman from a school, a local school, said, what animal has the best hearing Okay, we think about that. What would you think? That elephant? Look at those big flopping ears of theirs. You think, man, it's got to... We know it's not human. We're not the best hearing. Dogs have good hearing. We wonder about cats sometimes, because if you have a cat, all of a sudden they stop, and they'll stare at the wall like they're looking into another dimension, or maybe they're getting messages from the home planet. They're, they're hearing something you don't know, and you, we go, what, what? And finally the cat just looks at us like, what is wrong with you? You know, you need to cut back on the caffeine, and then they waddle off. I think the barn owl has better hearing than any animal, and it looks like probably any animal has been tested, at least in North America. The barn owl has this great, great hearing, and they're beautiful birds. Uh, they have this beautiful face. We used to have more of them around here. We really don't have barn owls in Minnesota. Do we ever see some here? Yes. On occasion, somebody will see one. But for the most part, they've been extirpated from the state of Minnesota, and I miss them. I grew up with a few of them around, and they were they were nice company, and I was uh, I, I miss them. Uh, Al, you mentioned a Canada thistle is a word that began with an A. Uh, yeah, uh, allelopathic. It's the same. Uh, walnut trees have this same ability. Uh, what it means, and even sunflower seeds will do that on the, on the ground. It means that it secretes chemicals. In the case of Canada thistle, I believe it secretes it from its roots, and they are toxic to surrounding plants. Uh, we see Canada thistle. I went for a little walk today. I saw both Canada thistle and bull thistle. They both have spiked leaves. But if you look at the bull thistle, which is a more robust plant, and they have uh, larger flowers, bull thistle stems have these spiny wings that are absent on Canada thistles. The spines along its stem make a bull thistle look meaner than a Canada thistle, I guess would be the best way to describe But they just It looks like a plant that you would say, I, I think I'm going to stay away from that plant. That might be uh, that might be my goal today, just not to mess with a, a bull thistle. Uh, I, I just uh, talked a little bit about uh, Larry Burr and his bluebirds. A listener said, should bluebird nest boxes face a certain direction? There was research done by the wonderful uh, Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and that revealed that eastern bluebirds, one we have here, will nest in boxes facing in any direction. 
So that makes it a lot simpler. But in Minnesota and other northern states, nest boxes facing in easterly directions fledged more young on average than boxes facing other directions. So this suggests a benefit to east-facing boxes at northern latitudes where night temperatures tend to be colder. And this benefit could not be detected in the south. So if you talk to bluebirders from the south, they might give you huh that kind of thing because it doesn't apply to them. What does it mean to when trees show the undersides of their leaves? And uh, I was out on a boat Sunday, saw a lot of this. Uh, when leaves show their undersides, there's an old saying. Uh, I don't know who said it somebody old when leaves show their undersides be very sure rain betides we don't say betides very often but when the leaves of maples turn over to show their undersides thunder and lightning will come soon the leaves of deciduous trees often turn upward before a heavy rain the leaves are reacting to an increase in humidity that usually precedes a storm and leaves with soft stems can become limp in response to humidity allowing the wind to flip them over we uh, looked at the leaves on the trees as we floated around in a boat uh, i uh, pontificate more likely bloviate on the boat uh, for all the good folks that come on there and we see some color the red colors are primarily being sumac, Virginia creeper, poison ivy, and where there's stress. Uh, it'll be interesting to see with the odd moisture patterns if we get much red this year. It looks like the yellow colors will be pretty good, but uh, from what I hear, um, scientists say maybe red will be lacking. And what, of course, do we love? We love the red colors of leaves. Man, when they talk about the fall colors are beautiful, usually folks will say, yeah, the reds were just uh, incredible. I want to thank everybody uh, for sitting on the front porch with uh, Dwayne and me, and we hope Karen uh, recovers uh, dramatically and is back in the saddle soon. And the other morning or the other day, I was hungry and I was thirsty. It seems to happen every day. I was hungry and thirsty, so what I do? I ate a juicy peach. It was a Colorado peach, and it was delicious. I was so grateful because few things can let you down like a peach. One that looks sweet and juicy, and you take a big bite out of it, and it turns out to be woody and tasteless. It's soul crushing when that happens. But I had a peach, and I was having a peach of a day. I talked to Charles Johnsrude of Clarks Grove, who told me that his grandmother lived to be 104 years. At that age, she liked older men but couldn't find any. And he asked her how she managed to reach 104 years, and she said, I don't know. It happened so fast. Joel Penny of Keister said he used to attend farm shows like Farming of Yesteryear to learn from his elders. Now he can't find any elders. 
and I visited with Father Eugene Stencil at Wells. We've been friends for a long time. We talked of nighttime leg cramps that bother us. That's what old guys talk about now. Someone had told him to unwrap a bar of Irish spring soap and place it under the bottom sheet where his legs rest. When it stops working, you either replace it or score the bar to release the scent. I might try that. Hmm. We'll see. Remember, folks, heartless while we're driving past, thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Dwayne, I enjoyed your company. Have a wonderful day. Thank you so much. That is Al Batts and uh, just a treasurer uh, for Southern Minnesota here. Always fun to when, uh, get an opportunity to, to hear Al Batts on the radio and a special treat for me when I get to actually uh partake in in chatting with Al during uh, Birding with Bats, Tuesdays at 10 here on 89.7 The Maverick.